Hey, if you brought your Bible this morning, we hold up the Bible all over the building today. And I want to ask you to join me over in the book of Galatians, chapter number 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5. And uh, I want to read some verses here in just a moment. I have an old Schofield Bible. If you do, that's page number 1,247. And I'll read some verses here. And then I'm going to ask you, if you will, to leave your Bibles open and follow me along here this morning. Galatians chapter number 5. And we'll read this text. Don't forget our service this afternoon at 5.30. Of course, we have prayer room at 5.05. And hope you'll be here for that. We're looking forward to having a good time together. In fact, it usually takes us about one service to get warmed up. And then we're, we're set on go tonight. And so I hope you'll come for the service this evening at 5.30. I want to say this just so you'll know. I, I'm not mad. But I have got to, right after service is over, I'll have to slip out this morning. And I'm, I'm not mad. But I might be mad by the time the service is over. I'm not sure. But at least right now I'm not mad. But I have got to go. I've got to go somewhere to preach at 11 o'clock. I was supposed to. I should have already left. But uh, uh, so I have to preach somewhere later. And so Brother Mark will come and take care of the invitation. And uh, so just don't think, man, the preacher got mad and left. And man, that's bad when the preacher gets mad and walks out. So it's okay if a member does. But the preacher gets mad and walks out. That's not good. So I'm not mad, at least right now. But I may be mad. I wouldn't give you a half a hallelujah for a preacher didn't get mad once in a while. Would you? I really want. They ought to get mad at sin and the devil and, and uh, all this stuff once in a while. Well, Galatians chapter 5, if you're there, would you say amen? All right. Well, you know, recently in our Sunday morning, uh, Sunday evening services, I have been preaching through the book of Galatians uh, in, in chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. You may remember that. What we have here is one of those lists that are given to us in the Bible that we oftentimes run into through the Word of God. Our Bible is full of lists. Uh, one that comes to mind is over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12. And it says this, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Now I want to stop right there before I go any further and say this. You know, we need some good examples in our day. Well, we got enough bad examples. You know, when you try to witness to people and you're trying to get them to get saved or come to church, whatever, ordinarily one of the things they always throw up in your face is somebody that they know that says they're a Christian, but they're a bad example of what a Christian ought to be. Well, I know so-and-so, and man, they cuss, and they do this and that. Well, if they're going to heaven, don't worry about me, preacher. I'm okay. And they throw up to us some kind of a bad example. Our society today is full of bad examples examples. Man, we want to use these sports uh, stars, you know. We want to make examples out of them. We want to make examples out of Hollywood actors with the morals of alley cats. And we want to elevate them and say, man, what an example. Well, I'll tell you something. We need some good examples in our day. Not a bunch of crooked politicians or a bunch of uh, actresses or actors that, uh, as I said, got the, alleys, uh, the, the morals of an alley cat. Man, we don't need that. We need some people that love God, love the Bible, and and are good examples of what believers ought to be. Amen. And so he said, hey, don't be a bad example. Be a good example. Then he lists several areas of our life where we need to be a good example. In word, in conversation, lifestyle, in love, charity, in spirit. God help us to have a good attitude. In faith, in faithfulness, in, in purity. Boy, that's one of those good Bible lists that we have in the Word of God. Well, in Galatians chapter number 5, we have two more of those lists. I said that to say this. We have two lists in Galatians chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, 
Look at verse number 19. Now we have a list of things that will happen to us if we live our life after the flesh. For instance, look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. In other words, if you and I give ourselves over to the pursuit of our fleshly desires, our life is going to turn out to be a real mess. Anybody's life in here a real mess? Let me tell you something. If you read beginning in verse 19 and following, what you've got here is a bunch of drama. You've got a mess. You've got a recipe for self-disaster and self-destruction. Look at verse 19. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And then he goes on to talk about adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lasciviousness and idolatry and witchcraft, which, by the way, is where we get our English word pharmacy from. That word rich, wit, witchcraft in the Greek language, Strong's Concordance, pharmakia, we get our English word pharmacy from. In other words, a person who follows after the flesh is a person that abuses drugs or they abuse alcohol. And he goes on to talk about their wrath and strife and emulations and hatred and variance and heresies and envies and murders and drunkenness and revelings. And Paul said, it's just too much for me to even list. And then he just says this, and such like. I tell you what, I don't want to live my life in verse 19, 20, and 21. I got enough problems in my life without all that mess going on. I got enough baggage to drag around with me without dragging around the baggage of that kind of mess in my life. That's not where I want to live my life. Do you? Do you like drama? Do you like going from one battle to the next battle? Live your life after the flesh, and you're going to find out you got a messed up life. Can I have an Amen. I want to instead live my life in verse 22 and verse 23. Now look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. Now in that other list, we have the fiascos of the flesh. I don't want to live in the fiascos of the flesh. I want to live my life in the fruit of the Spirit. Because he goes on to say in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and so forth. In other words, he said, okay, if you live your life, yield your life to the control of the Holy Spirit, if you live your life submitting yourself, surrendering, yielding, giving yourselves over to the pursuit of the Holy Spirit's fullness in your life, these, this will be how your life will be. There will be love. There will be joy. Can I have an Amen. There will be love. There will be joy. There will be peace. Boy, our world needs peace today. There's nothing but trouble and turmoil and tribulation in this world. God's people need to have some peace. You find peace by yielding yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit. Remember what I've told you. What we've got here really in reality in verse 22 and 23 is nothing more than a picture of Jesus. If you really want to know what Jesus was like while he was here on this earth, all you got to do is read verse 22 and 23 because we know that he he was love. He was joy. He was peace. He was long-suffering. He was gentleness. He was kindness. I mean, he was all of those things all rolled in to one person. Now, the Holy Spirit, once he comes into our heart, the very moment that we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up his abode in our life. And thank God he'll never walk out. He'll never leave. Hey, he's not like church. It's over at 12 o'clock. I mean, buddy, he'll be there tomorrow. He'll be there the next day. He'll be there next week. He'll be there next year. If the Lord doesn't come, he'll be there in the next 10 years. He'll always be there. And if we will give ourselves to him, he'll make us 
to resemble Jesus. He will reproduce in our life the characteristics of the Lord Jesus. Well, if you've been with us in our Sunday evening services, and I know some of you haven't, but if you have been with us in our Sunday evening services, we've worked through each one of these words. We started with love, and then joy, and then peace, and then gentleness, and, 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 and then last time, long-suffering, we left off with the word gentleness or kindness. That brings us now to the word goodness. In other words, if we will give ourselves over to the control of the Holy Spirit, if we will seek His fullness in our life, He will produce within us something called goodness. Not badness. Badness is in you by birth, man. Can I say, when we were born in this world, we were born, we were shaping in sin, born into sin and shaping in iniquity, Psalms 51, 5. We were in a mess when we got into this world. Badness is in us. Man, we need to get the badness out and get the goodness in. Can I have an amen? Well, guess what? As you and I give ourselves over to the control of the Holy Spirit, He will produce within us something called Goodness. You know something when you read through the Bible? You know, uh, there are several statements that are given to us in the Bible that helps us to understand who God is and what God is like. In other words, you know, God is so high and holy and God is so lofty that our finite human minds really have a difficult time comprehending what is God really like and who is God really. We, we struggle with that. But there are different statements that are given to us throughout the Bible that help us on a purely, on a, on a human standpoint to understand who God is and what God is like. For instance, look at this one. We're told in the Bible that God is light. God is light. Now, light to me illuminates. Light shows things. Light brings things into reality. Now that scares me for this reason. In John 3.19 we're told in the Bible that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You know something? I'd much, I'd much rather crave the darkness than I do the light because light really shows me who I am. Light really reveals me for who and what I am. That, that scares me. God is light. I like darkness. That, where you got light, you can't have darkness. Where there's darkness, there can't be light. Man, they, they're constantly in struggle and uh, uh, opposition to each other. That bothers me. God is light. That scares me. That scares me bad. But then I read another statement in the Bible about God, and it says this. God is not unrighteous. Now, wait a minute. That tells me God's perfect. Now, that really scares me because I'm not righteous. He's not unrighteous. I'm not righteous. He's always right. I'm always wrong. He's holy. I'm not holy. He's pure. I'm impure. He is. He's true and just. I'm sinful. Now that bothers me. He's light. Oh my goodness. He reveals me for what I really am. Now we're told that he's not unrighteous, which means he is, he is right, and I'm always wrong. That bothers me. But this one helps me a little better because next we read that God is love. Aren't you glad that the God who is light and the God who is righteous is also a God who loves us? 
In spite of the fact I like darkness. In spite of the fact that I am unrighteous, he is not unrighteous. In spite of all that, aren't you glad there's a God in heaven that loves us? In spite of our failures, in spite of our foibles, in spite of our faults, there is a God in glory that loves us. Now that makes me feel a little better. So God is light. God is not unrighteous. God is love. But then we read this about God. God is good. Can I have an amen? God is good. Now let me tell you something. While Jesus was on this earth, Jesus was God. And if you really want to know what Jesus did while he was here on this earth, if you really want to know what Jesus was inwardly while he was here on this earth, all you got to do is read five words in your Bible. There was an old preacher by the name of Simon Peter, and he went to this man's house. His name was Cornelius. He was a Gentile. The first Gentile convert in the, uh, after the day of Pentecost was old Cornelius. And Peter went over to his house to preach to him, and while he was preaching, he said five words words about Jesus. And here are those five words. In Acts chapter 10 and verse number 38, Peter said that Jesus went about doing good. Can I tell you who Jesus was? He was good. Can I tell you what Jesus did? He did good. I remember years ago, Brother Zeno preaching from those five words, and he said this, he did good when he went to the hill. He did good when he went to hell. And he did good when he went back to heaven. I'm just telling you, Jesus was good. He did good and he was good. If you ever want to know, just sum up the life of our Lord in five words. There you got it. He went about doing good. Now it amazes me. But the Holy Spirit wants to reproduce the same goodness that Jesus was and did within me. In other words, the Holy Spirit wants me to be good. Can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit wants you to be good. I, I say again, we got enough bad examples in this world. We need some of God's people who will leave the four walls of the house of God, get out of here in a lost and dying world, and just do good. Just have a good testimony. Just do right and just do good. Man, we need to be like Jesus. We need to go about doing good. But how do you do it? I mean, man, again, we're filled with badness and not goodness. It's easier for me to hate than it is for me to love. It is easier for me to be depressed like some of y'all than to be, have joy. It's easier for me to do wrong than it is to do right. So how in the world can I do good? Why do I need to be good? Well, this morning, this is my message, but I just want to give you three reasons why we need to do good. Now, this is not your mama talking to you. This is a preacher. This is not going to be one of those now, now kind of a sermons. Bless your little heart. I just want to tell you, man, we need some good examples. We got enough of this stuff going on in our world where some people drag into church, they stand up and they sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, and they walk right out of the house of God, go to their job on Monday morning, and cuss like a sailor, and drink like a fish. We got all kind of them examples in this world. We need some, God, some of God's people to make up our mind, Hey, we're just going to go out here and do good. 
The Holy Spirit wants to produce goodness in our lives. So this morning, I want to give you three reasons why we need to do good. Number one, I put this down. Number one, privately, privately. I want to do good because I got to look in. In other words, what I'm trying to say is, listen, when I say that I got to look in, what I mean by that is I've got to live with me. <laughs> you know, in reality, you know, uh, in reality, I live with a lot of people in my life. I live with my wife. I enjoy living with my wife. I live with my children, or I did before they all moved out. I enjoyed living with my children. I now live with two chickens and a wife. And, uh, so, but I enjoy it. I mean, not, they don't live in the house. They live outside. By the way... Yesterday, I got home. We got home later on yesterday afternoon, 6 o'clock, 6.30 or so. So I go down to the chicken house to feed my chickens. And I get my, I reach in, I'm getting my eggs. And, and my girls, for some reason, have started laying their eggs in a different place. And I thought, well, maybe it's because they're out of straw. So I got pine needle and I put in there. And, and when I looked, raised up the back and looked in, all of the eggs were laid up near the door. And I said, now that's odd. I've made them this nice, comfortable bed, Sealy posturpedic pine mat, pine straw mattress here and they want to lay all their eggs I looked over two bins there was a black snake in my chicken house about you better know uh oh <laughs> he was that big around laying in my chicken house so I go to the house and I get my snake gun <laughs> I reach in there with my potato digger and I ring around just a little bit he pops his head up to look around and see what happened. And I put something on him, Ajax. I ain't going to get off of him. I blew his head clean off his body. And then I drug him out. I ain't lying. He was 14 foot long. I bet he weighed 50 pounds. No wonder my girls was laying there. They just wanted to get out of that thing, that house as fast as they could. They dropped their doors out to egg and run out. At the, at the eggs at the door and run out. As scared of that snake as I was. I got to live with people. I live with my wife, my children, my grandchildren. I live with y'all. But you know the one person that I've got to live with more than anybody? That's with me. I've got to live with me. I've got to live with myself. I've got to live with I. You know the truth of the matter is nobody knows me any better than me. I mean, let, let's just face it. You know, I, I've lived with my wife now for over 36 years. And outside of anybody else in this building this morning, my wife knows me best. She knows what I like to eat. She knows what I don't like to eat. She knows, she knows what I like to wear. She knows what I don't like to wear. She knows, she knows my favorite restaurants, which are two. They're kind of rival right now, the Derby and Chick-fil-A, the Chicken of Jesus. And so the Derby, and those are my two favorite restaurants right now. She knows my favorite ball teams, who I pull for. And by the way, I know her. After 36 years of marriage, I know my wife. I know her favorite flower is uh, Martha White, self-rising. Uh, <laughs> She knows me better than anybody knows me. But she doesn't know me better than I know myself. You see, I know me what I am on the inside. I know my thoughts. I know my desires. I know my secrets. 
I know what I am when nobody else is around. I know what I listen to when I drive 10 hours to a destination. I know what I look at when nobody else is around. I know what I got on my telephone that nobody else knows that I've got on my telephone. I, I just want to say all that. I might be able to fool her. I can fool you. I can fool this church. But the truth of the matter is I can't fool me because I know me and you know you. I got to look in every day at my life. I've got to live with myself. I don't know who said this, but whoever said this right here made a great statement. The most important part of my life is the part that nobody sees but me. The most important part of your life is the life that nobody sees but you. Now, I've got to ask you this question. If everybody could see you inwardly, if your life was a glass, and we could look in and see what you are on the inside of you, would you want that glass to be clear glass or stained glass? I mean, if, 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 if we could just look inside of you and see your desires and see your secrets and, and, and see your dreams and, and see what you are, really are on the inside, I mean, would you say, hey, 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 make my life stained glass. I don't want anybody to see what I... Or could you say, in the words of the Apostle Paul, when he said, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Could, could you and me, like Paul, say, hey, I just want to tell you inwardly, I just want to tell you my conscience is clear. My conscience is good. I mean, uh, God knows it's before God. God knows. And I don't care if my life is a clear glass. It's okay. I've got nothing to hide. Every day of our life, you and I hear stories of, of people who are one thing by day and another thing at night. Doctor by day, call girl at night. Uh, lawyer by day, serial killer at night. Preacher on Sunday. Uh, uh, por pornographer on Monday. Our world is full of that garbage. And, and people on the inside today, if they've got a conscience at all, they have to be eat up, eat up, because in reality what they are on the inside. You may tell you why I want to do good when nobody sees but me. You may tell you why I want to go out here in this walk of life and I want to live in such a way that uh, when people look at my life, I, I don't want to have anything to hide. I don't want to be sitting on any secrets. I, I don't care what people know about me because I want to live in such a way inwardly that I don't have to hide anything that I don't have to cover anything up, that I don't have to sweat when I lay my phone down because I'm afraid my wife might pick it up and just push a button and pff, something pops up on my phone. I want to be able to walk in the door when I come in the door, sling my phone down, which is what I want to do with it. Most of the days when I walk in the door, just throw it over there in the corner. And if she gets on it, bless her heart, get on it. She knows the codes. I got nothing to hide. You know, something. I want to live in such a way when I pillar my head at night, my conscience isn't saying, you're a liar. You're a hypocrite. You're a fake. You're a phony. You say one thing. You sing one thing. You testify one thing. But you know you're nothing but a low-down liar. You're a hypocrite. 
Hey, I'm preaching to some people sitting right here in this auditorium this morning. you got to keep your phone with you 24-7. I mean, bless God, when you take a shower, you put it in a plastic bag because you don't want your wife to see what you got on your phone. I'm saying, man, you got to be troubled by all that. I want to live in such a way I can look in, lay my head down at night and say, thank God, everything's all right between me and God. I've got nothing to hide. I found something out. I've read through the four Gospels just in the last two or three weeks. I've read through the four Gospels. And what amazes me, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every time you read through the list of the disciples that Jesus called, every time, I just read it. Check me out on it. But every time you read through those lists, it'll talk about Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and Matthew. But the last name on every one of those lists, whether it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, doesn't matter. Every time the Lord lists the disciples in the Bible, the last one that's always listed, Judas Iscariot. Every time their names are mentioned in a list... Judas is, and it always will say something like this, who also betrayed Jesus. I got to thinking about old Judas. We know the story behind Judas. He, he, uh, he coveted with the, the uh, chief priests and the elders that he would deliver Jesus into their hands. You know, Judas knew Jesus' hangouts. He knew where Jesus went to pray, and he knew those places where Jesus you know, kind of uh, withdrew himself too. And so obviously he become a prime candidate to get those chief priests, those Sadducees and Pharisees with the Roman officials. He was the one that could, that could, uh, that could find Jesus for them. He was the one who could point Jesus out. And they, they, they arranged an agreement for 30 pieces of silver that he would point out Jesus. He would lead them to Jesus and point him out. Now, the way that he pointed Jesus out was, hey, it's the one I'm going to kiss on the jaw. That's going to be him. Take him. So he goes to these Sadducees and Pharisees and said, okay, look, man, this is the time. I know where he's at. Pay up. I'll lead you to him. They gave him a sack with 30 pieces of silver. He takes them out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he gets to the Lord Jesus, he says, hail, master, and kisses him. And those Roman soldiers come and, man, they take Jesus. And now the wheels are turning that's going to lead to the crucifixion of the Son of God. Judas goes home. He's got that bag of money in his pocket. He's so excited what he's going to do the next day. Maybe he gets out the Sears and Roebuck and begins to look through it. Man, he thinks, I'm going to buy this. I've always wanted one of those. Or I'm going to buy those sandals. I've always wanted a pair of those Nike sandals with that check mark on them. I'll tell you, I'm going to have a time with this money. And so he gets a little sleepy, sets the bag down, and he tries to go off to sleep. But that night as he tries to go off to sleep, his conscience begins to bother him. You betrayed the Son of God. You delivered Jesus. You hypocrite. You were supposed to be one of his disciples. You were supposed to be one of those who followed him. And you have delivered him into the hands of the Romans. And they're going to kill him. And Judas tosses back and forth all night long. Finally, as the sun begins to come up the next morning with bloodshot eyes and wrinkled clothes, he rushes back over to the temple and he says, Guys, here's the money back. Please, I need to reverse this. I can't sleep. My conscience is bothering me. Here's your money back. Give me Jesus. And they say, It's it's too late. He's on his way to be crucified. And the Bible said that Judas went out on a lonely hillside overlooking the city of Jerusalem, 
tied a noose around his neck and stepped from the hell within him to the hell beyond him because he couldn't live with himself. Can I tell you something? I'll tell you why we ought to do good. Because we got to look in, man. We got to live with ourselves. I don't want to lay down at night and when I tell my wife, good night, I love you. I don't want my conscience saying, you're a liar. You're a fake. You're a phony. I don't want to come to this church and say, I love Jesus in front of y'all and my conscience rise up and say, you're not what you're supposed to be. You're a low down hypocrite. Hey, I don't want to come and, and uh, testify to people and witness to people and stand here and preach sermon and the whole time I'm preaching, the Spirit of God in my conscience saying, you're the biggest fake I've ever seen in my life. You wait till they find out what you are. I want you to know I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but bless your heart. I'm glad I can tell you this morning that I can stand before you with a clear conscience before God saying, it is good to be good. It is good to be right. I'd rather have that any day of the week than to have a bunch of hypocrite, fake, phony, and lying going on in my life. You hear me and hear me well, sir. You slip around on your wife if you want to. Hey, you listen to me, you little home-wrecking hussy. You can paint yourself up if you want to. You can run around on your husband. You can sign some fictitious name on a motel scroll somewhere. You can go in a dark room. You can do what you want to, and maybe nobody will ever find out. Hey, you hear me. You can get some kind of sexually transmitted disease. You can go here to the hospital, the emergency room. They can shoot you full of penicillin. They can keep that disease down where nobody will ever know. But bless your heart, there's not a doctor in this world when your conscience begins to bother you. There's not a doctor in this world that can give you a prescription for a guilty conscience. Amen. I want to do good. I want to do right. You know why? I got to look in. I got to lay down and go to sleep every night. And I want to honor God and live in such a way that between me and the Savior, there's nothing between us. There's no secrets. It's known and it's okay. I want to do right. I want to do good. Personal, privately. Because I got to look in. Number two, watch this. I want to do good because publicly others are looking on. You know, the truth of the matter is, according to the Bible, can I tell you this? According to the Bible, you and I, as God's people, have an influence. Our influence affects other people. There's a verse over in Romans 14, 7 that says this, None of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For South County Translation, how we live affects others, and how we die affects others. We have an influence. No matter how large that influence may be, no matter how small that influence may be, others are watching us. And we ought to do good. We ought to be filled with goodness. You know why? Because when we get out here in this world, we want people to know that what we've got is real and we're not fake and phony about it. There's a verse in our Bible. Look at this. It's over in 1, Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. And it says this, For we are made a spectacle unto the world. Now that's an amazing word. That word spectacle, you look it up in your Strong's Concordance. That's where we get our English word theater from. So in other words, I could read it like this. For we are made a theater unto the world. Every day of my life, I'm on stage. I'm on the stage and the world is my audience. My wife, 
is my audience. My children are my audience. This church is my audience. All those people that I've been trying to get in church and get saved, they are my audience. They watch my life. I better make up my mind. I'm going to do good in here. I'm going to do good out there because others are watching my life. I don't want to be, watch, I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want others to trip over my careless, nonchalant, worldly, ungodly life. Amen. I don't want to be a, a stumbling block. I, I want to be a stepping stone. I want to help people on their way to heaven. I want to do my best to be a step, not a step. What are you? I mean, when you go down there to job and use the same four-letter words, everybody else does. You tell the same sturdy, dirty, sneaking, filthy jokes everybody else tells. You play the same punch cards or scratch off the same, bless God, lot, lottery tickets the rest of them uh, scratch off. You drink the same liquor, bless your heart, and smoke the same weed the rest of the crowd does. And then you have the audacity to stand up and say, I'm just trying to lead them to Christ. Are you kidding me? They're going to stumble over your, your careless, worldly life. Wake up one day in a devil's hell forever and ever. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we aren't to blame. The old saying is this. The reason so many are going to hell is because of so many who are going to heaven. I know i got to go, but I'm enjoying this a little bit right now. They're just going to have to wait. Go eat first and I'll preach second. The reason so many are going to hell is because of so many of us who are going to heaven. i got to share with you a verse that bothers me. This verse bothers me bad. And it's this verse right here. Revelation 21 verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now I tell you, thinking about that, the Creasy families over here, I'm sure they have shed many tears like many of us have when our loved ones die. And we think about getting to heaven. Woo! Get to heaven, not going to cry anymore. Not going to be sickness, sorrow, sighing, suffering, no death. Man, it's going to be wonderful. No tears over there. But evidently there are going to be some tears over there. Because we're just reading right there that God's wiping away the tears from our eyes. And of all places, He does that when we're in heaven. Now for crying out loud, why are we crying out loud in heaven? Why is God having to take his heavenly hanky and wipe away the tears from the eyes of people who are in heaven? Why are we crying? I think the answer to that's easy. Because prior to Revelation 21 is Revelation 20. And at the end of Revelation chapter number 20 is those verses about the great white throne judgment. Those are the verses where lost people are going to be condemned and judged and thrown into hell. I wouldn't be at all surprised. I know we're not going to be judged there, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if we don't have to see that. And I just wonder, I just wonder if somebody that we worked with, that we cussed with, or drunk with, or smoked weed with, or played the lottery with, or, or looked at pornography with, or ran to the stinking hell holes of this world, I just wonder if maybe when all that's said and done, right before they get cast in the lake of fire, they... Point us out and say, but, but you, you never told me. You were no different. Now I'm going to hell. You're going to heaven. And it's your fault. 
and we're watching all that. God has to wipe the tears from our eyes because we just lived any old way in this world and our badness was worse than our goodness. Others are looking on. And lastly, I want to do right privately because I got to look in. I want to do right publicly because others are looking on. But last of all, I want to do right personally because God's looking down. God is watching my life. I read that quote to you a moment ago. Guys, could we go back to it? I read this quote to you a moment ago. It went like this. The most important part of my life is the part that nobody sees but me. But wait a minute. Let me add this to it. The most important part of my life is the part that nobody sees but me. Oh, God sees it. Did you know something? God didn't find out what you've been doing on Facebook. God just didn't pull it up on Facebook and say, my children involved in this? Hey, God didn't, somebody didn't have to call God and say, God, I hate to tell you this, Lord, but one of your children named, can I just tell you, God sees. God knows. God's never had to learn anything on Facebook, which is more than I can say for a lot of us sitting in this building this morning. Because we want to get on that Facebook and find out all the gossip and the garbage that we can so we can just pass it on, bless God. Or watch this. My hind leg on that. My hind leg on the whole Facebook thing. My, hind, my hanging hind leg. My double stinking hind leg on Facebook. You can have it all. You say, preacher, go back on vacation. I'm going next week, but right now, I'm right here right now. Am I hanging high leg on any of that garbage? God never had to, God never had to find out anything on Facebook. And you're welcome. I'm leaving, but I'm mad now when I'm leaving. I'm going to be mad when I walk out of here. Now, what was we talking about? So, God knows. Watch this. Look at this verse. I didn't read this a moment ago. We are made a spectacle, a theater under the world. And then watch this. And the angels. Angels are watching our lives. You say, oh my goodness. If I would have known an angel was watching my life the other day, I would have done things differently. Are you kidding me? I'd rather 10,000 times for an angel to see me mess up than for God to see me mess up. But the Bible said that God is looking down on our lives. So I just want to say as I close this morning, man, personally, I want to do good because God is looking down. Here's my, that's my introduction. Here's the message and I'm done. Jesus did three things when it comes to goodness. First of all, number one, watch this. Jesus makes us good. When you got saved, guess what? The righteousness of the Lord Jesus, the sinlessness of Christ was put to your account. And the sinfulness of your life was put on Christ's account. Amen, preacher. Isn't that amazing? Jesus makes us good. By the way, number two, Jesus does us good. I mean, can I have an amen? Some of y'all are done mad. 
and I'm glad you are. It's good for a person to get mad once in a while. Get your blood pressure up. God, take a good deep breath. And then number three, Jesus expects us to do good. Listen, the preacher don't need to follow you around 24-7 to be sure you're doing good. If you're saved, you just ought to do good. Hey, the deacons don't have to follow you around to be sure you're doing good. You just ought to do good. Can I have an amen? I mean, man, hey, they don't have to follow me around to get me to do good. When I do bad, I know I do bad, but can I tell you something? Man, I just want to do good, not for the sake of a deacon, not for the sake of a church. I just want to do good because he's made me good. He's done me good, and he commands me to do good. If you'll get filled with the Holy Spirit, he'll take away the badness and put in the goodness. Amen. Let's pray.